So I do not mind. It's up to if if, if you don't mind me coming, I don't mind coming. Because I will pray for you. And uh, so anyway, that's some of the things here that uh, I wanted to update you on. Uh, Tommy said something while we go about communion. <clears throat> what we thought we would do is we're going to uh, probably go somewhere, whether either order them online or go to Mardale's or somewhere like that and buy this prepackaged juice and crackers where it's all, you know, it's all sealed. And what I thought about doing is setting it up here on the communion table. And then I would like, when we do it, if you're the head of your household, like the man, like, okay, we're going to take Ted, for instance. He would come up, and he would get four cups of the juice and four crackers. He would take them back, and he would serve Krishana and the two girls and himself. I think that's proper for the man to serve his family. And we're doing something like that until we can get back to uh, doing, you know, like we used to do. I don't know. Uh, I guess we all want to be, you know, cautious about any about everything. But there's going to be a point to where we're either going to have to get back to normal or forget it. I want to get back to normal. And uh, so uh, that was what, what kind of looking at communion. We're going to look and see whether it would be best to maybe get it at Mardale's or maybe we can order it online. We may can get it through Amazon or something. I don't know. But I do want to get back into communion. I don't like missing communion. Because that is simple. We're simply communion, you know, whatever. We're doing it in remembrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross for us. And we need to do this. We need to be so thankful to Jesus Christ for his love for us that he went through what he did simply so that we could have eternal life. So I want to get back into communion. It's pretty clear. I want to get back, maybe not this month, but next month I'd like to get back into the man's breakfast. Uh, over at man's breakfast, uh, everything, we've got paper plates, plastic forks, and knives, and all that, so there's nobody really handling anything but you. So I think we can get back to a men's breakfast again and have that time of fellowship with the men, do a little devotion and just kind of, sometimes it's just good to get back for the men to get together and talk. You'd be surprised what comes up in some of those uh, breakfasts. So I want to get back to, to doing that and uh, Right now, like I said, we've opened Sunday school back up. Mike, how did y'all go this morning? Was there enough room in in, in, in that room, or did y'all have to go out? All right. And uh, but Sunday school has started back. You need to make plans to be here at nine thirty, and get in to learning about God and His Word. We can't get too much of God's word in us. The more word of God that you get in you, the less the devil can bug you. So, anyway, this morning on the message I'd like to bring to you, now I've talked to y'all about this before, but I've entitled this, Will the Church Go Through the Tribulation? Now, I'm doing this for a reason. When I'm out, 
you'd be surprised at the number of the people that ask the questions now. With all the turmoil going on, all the rioting and everything else, all this, this COVID and all this, are asking, what about this tribulation out here? You'd be surprised how many people do not know what the tribulation is. They've heard about it. But now they're beginning to ask questions about it. I think people are beginning to realize the time on this earth is getting close. Each day brings you just a little bit closer to the rapture of the church. And many people say, well, now I've heard different things. I, there's more than three, but I'm just going to mention these three raptures that they, they talk about. Pre-rapture, that's where the church goes to heaven. Jesus comes back before the tribulation. You got uh, the mid-rapture. That's where they believe that Jesus comes back at the end of the first three and a half years and then takes the church out. The first three and a half years are not into the real bad stuff yet. It's the last three and a half years where it really, really gets bad. So many people think, well, we'll go through the first three and a half years, then he'll come back. And then there's a post-rapture. Post-term. That means people think that you will go through the tribulation and then God will come back. I can't see that at all. Not from the scriptures that I read. I, you know, it, it, it tells us, and I, would, I don't know, it just hit me this morning. As I was sitting in my office there and doing some reading, you know, it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have eternal life. And for all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not condemned. He said that Jesus did not come back to condemn the world, but to save the world. You're the world. We are the world. We're the people. He says that everything Jesus went through was for us so that we would not perish, that we would be saved. And I don't believe we're going to go through the rapture after all that Jesus Christ did for us. And I had never thought about it like that before until this morning. As I was sitting there that God loves us so much, why? And we're faithful, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. If we're faithful, serving God, and doing his bidding for him, I cannot see God putting his church and his people through this. I just don't believe it. And from the scriptures that I have, I've got about four or five scriptures that pretty well verify that we will go out of here before the tribulation starts. And that's what most of the belief is. You, like I said, you still got some. And you know, you can make a scripture pretty well read anything you want it to, depending on how you read it. If you take it out of context and you add to it, you can pretty well make scripture say whatever you want to. But if you will read it and interpret it right straight from God's word, you'll see. You don't add nothing to it. By fact, God said, you do not add to my word or I will add to you the plagues of this world. If you take away 
from my scripture that I will take away your name from the book of life. God is very serious about his word. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. We say what God has said. And when you do that, there's no problem. But you'll find that over in the book of Revelations. I think it's Revelations probably, uh, I don't think it's 23. Right, 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 at the, right at the end. Before the Revelation closes out, this is spoken. So we need to really get into the Word of God. Uh, this is used, and I've used it a number of times at a funeral. And I kind of call it, or I kind of feel like that this is our own, at that funeral, this was this person's own private rapture. He has left this earth to go home to be with God. And you probably know the verses I'm going to use. It's John 14, 1 through 3. This is referring to the rapture of the church. And it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, which is heaven, are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that you may be where I am also. This is referring to the rapture. It's referring to Jesus Christ coming back and taking his church out of here and taking us home. He says, I'm coming back for you. He's coming back for the church. You know, and uh, I know there's some disagreement among some of the Bible scholars and different things I've read concerning the second coming of Christ. The rapture is considered the second coming of Christ. The first coming was when he came as a baby. He came to earth. The second coming is when he comes back for his church. But you know the thing about that second coming is that God does not set foot on earth. He takes us from the clouds. We go up into the cloud and says, meet him in the air. He does not come to earth. Now on the next uh, time he comes, he will. He will come to the Mount of Olives. As soon as his feet touches that Mount of Olives, that mountain splits. That is when he comes back and takes care of the Antichrist and the beast and all of that. So, like I said, there is some disagreement, but it's the way they read the scriptures. Many believe that, he, that Jesus will come before the tribulation. That is pre-rapture. And it's, like I said, it's an event known as the rapture in order to take his church home. And then again, at the end of the tribulation, after the tribulation is over, to judge the Antichrist and the beast. Then there are others who believe that Christ will return only once at the end of the tribulation. Therefore, they believe that the church will have to endure and go through that tribulation period. Sometimes you wonder, but there is one thing regardless. We know for a fact, without any doubt, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. You know, uh, he says, how do we know this? 
He says, because he promised us. And he is a God that cannot lie. If he said, I'm going to do it, mark it down, it's done. You know, I have always attended a church that taught pre-tribulation. That, that the church was going to be taken out. So I, be honest with you, I'm naturally inclined to believe that. Maybe some, maybe some others were raised up under different people that says, no, you're going to go through the tribulation. But my scriptures pretty well verify that we're going to go out of here before the tribulation. And I'm going to show them to you here in just a minute. You know, when we get into it, just to kind of show you what I'm, what I'm talking about, I want to give you an example of how God delivered from a disaster. Y'all remember <coughs> Noah? Noah was a righteous man, and him and his family were taken out by the ark before the destruction came. It said that Noah was a righteous man. He was a preacher of righteousness. But the God took him out before the disaster came because this man, Noah, loved God, he believed God, and he stood on God's word. You know, the whole time that Noah was building that ark, he was being made fun of, he was laughed at, and everything else. But that did not deter Noah. He just went right on and he built that ark because he had word that God said, build an ark. And he did it. And you know, I got to thinking about that. And I think that's the way a whole lot of this world is going to be when the rapture does take place. Whenever the judgment seat not the judgment seat, but the great white throne judgment at the end of time where, judge, where God judges us. And we're either found innocent. We've been found innocent before that. We'll, we will never stand before the great white throne judgment. That is only for those who do not believe. We have been judged at the cross. When we accepted Jesus Christ, we were found not guilty. At the, judgments, at the judgment seat of Christ is where we will be judged. And it has nothing to do with our salvation. Nothing. We, when we're judged, we are in heaven being judged. What are we being judged for? We've been judged for the things we did to serve God. He's judging us on what we did so that he can give us our rewards. The rewards he's going to give us are crowns. Crowns because of how we served him. It has nothing to do, the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with our salvation. He's judging us on how we served him here upon this earth and how we testified for him, how we told others about him. All the things that we did for God is how we're going to be judged. <laughs> and then, so... Noah, we see that Noah was taken out before the destruction came. That's how God works. So why wouldn't the church be taken out? We're serving God. Noah served God. Noah was a righteous man. When we accepted Christ, we were seen as righteous, not of any righteous we had, but of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He traded us his righteousness for our sin. God sees our righteousness in Christ. 
And then here, what about old Lot? Lot made some mistakes. I admit it. But it said Lot was a righteous man. He did. He loved the Lord. And he was rescued from Sodom before its destruction. God saw Lot righteous because of Abraham. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Abraham prayed diligently for Lot and his family. And God heard that prayer. And he saved them out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, Lot's wife didn't want to go with them. She kept stopping and looking back. When God said leave, he said leave, don't look back. Of course, Lot's wife had to look back. She, didn't, she wasn't ready to leave the world. She liked what she was living. What happened? She went through the destruction. She was turned into a pillow of salt. But Lot and his daughters went on. God delivered them before the destruction came. Now these here that I use are just two examples of how God watches over and he protects his faithful people. Look here what is what Peter says in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. It says, And he... God delivered just Lot. See, God saw Lot as just because of Abraham. And he, de and he delivered just Lot, vexed, or who was troubled with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now, conversation here simply means lifestyle. Of their lifestyle. That's conversation. And... Uh, but conversation means he was disgusted with their lifestyle, their way of living, and things like that. Lot was not satisfied with that at all. It says, for the righteous man, Lot, dwelling among them, the, 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 in Sodom and Gomorrah, and seeing and hearing, it troubled his righteousness. From his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. It troubled Lot because he was watching what was going on. You know, if we're not troubled today watching what's going on, we've got a problem. If, if, if we're not troubled about what's going on, we have a problem. We need to be praying for our country. We need to be praying for our president. We need to be praying that God We'll either take care of this or send Jesus on back. Get us out of this mess. So, but it's a, but then here, it says right here, I want, this is where I want to go with this. In verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations or out of trials and to reserve or to keep the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Do y'all realize that only the ungodly, those that have, have ex not accepted Jesus Christ, will be left? And that is for God to punish. God will pour out his wrath upon the ungodly, upon the unjust. We do not want to be in the hands of an angry God. Because God is going to be angry about what took place upon this earth. How he sent his son to die and go through everything that he went through. 
for us and then for nobody to believe it, to make fun of him, to laugh at him. It's not going to be pretty. And when those people stand before God at the great white judgment, you can just imagine what they're going through their mind. Why didn't I believe what the preacher said? Why did I not believe? If I had believed, if I had believed upon Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, if I had believed he was the Son of God that died and then rose again the third day, I wouldn't be here. No, they wouldn't have been there. But since they didn't believe, and since they cared nothing about Christ, what he went through for them, and what he did for them, they are now under the wrath of God. And that wrath will continue on for all eternity. And here's a scripture I want to read that, that also shows that the church will be removed and taken out before the rapture. And it's Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Do y'all realize that God is, what God's saying here, listen, this is a promise that we will not go through the tribulation. <clears throat> because of you, my righteous people, is what he's saying, have kept the word of my patience. We have been patient with God and walking with him, believing his word, trusting him. He said, I will keep you from the hour or the time of temptation or from the time of the trials, which shall come upon the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. That's who's going to be here. He says, we are not going to be here. Put my glasses on, help me. It says, since you have kept and been patient with me, I will also keep you from the hour or the time of, of trials. The trial is going to be the, tri the tribulation. It is going to be such a trial, what the people are going to go through, which shall come upon the world. A lot of people think that, oh, this is just going to be over there in Jerusalem. No. On the world. The whole world. To try them that dwell up on the earth. Or to punish them. That's what try means, to punish. And then I want to go down here to the next one. Here is where we said, we see the presence of the church in heaven before the revelation for excuse me, before the tribulation begins. We're showed where the church will be in heaven before the tribulation begins. In Revelations 5 6, I'm going to read 5 6 through 10. It says, And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb, which was Jesus, standing as though it had been slain. 
with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. The seven spirits of God. I, 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 I looked that up. You know what those seven spirits, what the, what the commentaries say they are? First is the spirit of the Lord himself. Next is the spirit of wisdom. Jesus had all wisdom. Understanding. Jesus had all understanding. Spirit of the spirit of counsel, of giving advice, telling us what's right. The spirit of power. The spirit of knowledge. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That's the seven spirits. Is what the commentary was saying. And then the Bible says, you know, there could be some other ones, but this here was the main ones that they went to. And all of this is from the Holy Spirit himself, from the very Spirit of God himself, that this was presented and placed upon Jesus. In verse 7 it said, And he, Jesus, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him, which was God, who was seated on the throne. And when Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers are collected in heaven. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Others looked at it. They were so worried. Who is going to be capable? Who can open the scrolls? Who can open these scrolls? Only one person could open them. And that was Jesus Christ himself. And he stepped up and he took those scrolls and he began to open them. It says, Worthy you are to take the scroll and to open his seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and the priest to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. He's talking about us. At the tribulation period, according to the Bible, does not start or begin until Revelations chapter 6. That's where the scrolls, when they are open, that's where this begins. When Jesus begins to open the, the sealed scrolls is when the, 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 the tribulation will begin. But in Revelations chapter 5, what we just read reveals that the church is already in heaven before the opening of the scrolls. We're already here before Jesus even starts opening the scrolls. Once he opens the scrolls, then that is when, he said, before opening the scrolls begins, this shows there is a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. We're already in heaven before the scrolls are even open. It's when the scrolls are open, it's when the Antichrist uh, the, and, and the four horsemen start writing through revelations spreading all the problems. Then we see, again, the absence of the church in the details of tribulation. When he talks about the tribulation, we see 
excuse me, we see where the church is not mentioned. It's not even talking about the church. Here in Revelation, <coughs> excuse me, it's, it, it says here, the, the absence of the church in Revelation, okay, Revelations chapter 6 through 18, chapter 6 through, through chapter 18 is what describes all the events that take place in the tribulation. 6 through 18 describes the events that take place in Revelation. The things that are going to happen. The church is mentioned in chapter 5, which we just read a while ago, before the tribulation begins, and again, not until chapter 19, when Jesus returns with the armies of heaven to judge the Antichrist. The church is not mentioned during the tribulation. During the tribulation period, the church isn't even mentioned. Therefore, the absence of the church in the describing of the tribulation shows that the church will not be a part of the tribulation period on earth. We are in heaven. And then there's something else that's going to happen. It's simply the removal of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> the removal of the Holy Spirit before the Antichrist appears. Do y'all realize that the Holy Spirit is going to be taken off of earth? right before the Antichrist appears? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, And you know what is restraining him, the Antichrist, what's holding him back, what's keeping him from coming right now, is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time, in God's time perfect time the Antichrist will be revealed for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work it's already working now but the Antichrist has not appeared yet only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way the Holy Spirit right now is restraining the Antichrist but when he's taken out when the Holy Spirit leaves, and he's going to go back to heaven. And then the law of heaven will, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. It says that when Armageddon starts, he said that a lot of people think that's going to be a long-lasting battle. That battle's not going to last for just a few minutes. Fire is going to breathe out of Jesus' mouth and he's going to destroy the entire army that's come against him. It's what the Bible says. That he will open his mouth on the army that has come against him. You know, Satan went out in the Antichrist and they gathered a bunch of nations from all over the world to come together to fight God, to fight Jesus. And Jesus comes back at Armageddon. He simply comes back, he opens up his mouth, he breathes out, out comes fire, destroys the whole army. And everybody thinks, boy, that Armageddon's going to be a long, drawn-out deal. It's not going to last for just a few minutes. God is going to destroy it. He said, the restrainer of sin is the Holy Spirit. And he's doing his work right now primarily through the church. Do y'all realize when the church is gone, the Holy Spirit is leaving? There will be nothing 
to stop the Antichrist from doing whatever he wants to do. People are going to be murdered. They're going to be killed. You know, they're going to be beheaded. They're going to have all kinds of things happen because of, because some of those people, he's going to have what they call the mark of the beast. And if a person does not take that mark, it says they will not be able to buy or sell. In other words, they're not going to be able to go into a grocery store and buy food. They're not going to be able to sell their goods to make money or anything else. And there's another thing. When God pours out his wrath, those who have taken the mark of the beast have bowed down or give their alliance to the Antichrist, they're going to be hit with these large, very big balls. Very painful. But the Bible says it's only the ones that take the mark of the beast or that bow down to him or pledge their allegiance to him. See, you're still sure going to be some people able to be saved during the tribulation, but not if you take the mark of the beast. If you take the mark of the beast, that's it. If you refuse to take the mark of the beast and you say, oh, I will not pledge my allegiance to the Antichrist or whatever, chances are you're going to be killed. Because you're coming against the Antichrist. He don't want your opposition. But you can be saved by not taking the mark of the beast, bowing down to him, acknowledging him as your leader or as your God. So there you still there's still a hope, but you cannot take the mark of the beast, or all hope is gone. And uh, Paul said that someday the restrainer is going to be removed. The Holy Spirit is still here right now, but there's going to be a time when the Holy Spirit will be removed. And, and Satan, the Antichrist, the beast, all that will have their own way of whatever they want to do. There will be no stopping them. This shows that when the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit will no longer be restraining or holding back sin in the world and the reign of the Antichrist will begin. When the Holy Spirit is out, the church is out, then the reign of the Antichrist will begin. And we're promised the return of Christ. The intimate return of Christ. The word intimate, which means it can happen at any moment. And it can. There is nothing that has to happen. There's nothing that has to take place before Jesus Christ can come back. He could come back right now. We could be sitting here right now and we could hear the trumpet. Only thing God has to do is tell Jesus, go get my children. That's why I love that song, The Midnight Cry. It's about the rapture. It's about Christ coming back for his church. But that's all that has to happen is God has to look over at his son. See, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of, right hand of God right now, interceding for us by prayer, and all God has to do is say, go get my children. And he's back. He's taking the church out of here. You know, Scripture teaches us that the return of Christ can happen at any moment, but you better be ready for it. 
you better be ready. Wednesday, I'm going to do a deal. And I just simply called it the thief in the night. That's how he's going to come back, as a thief in the night. If you knew when the thief was coming, you'd be ready for him. But we never know when the thief is coming. We don't know when Jesus is coming. So we have to stay ready constantly. Be ready. Because you could hear that you could hear that trumpet at any time. And that's Jesus Christ coming back for us. Coming back for the church. And here I want to give you three scriptures. They're short, and then I'm going to be through. But this here is First Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep, or let us not become weary in the things that we do. Let us not, we need to always pay attention and listen. Therefore, let us not sleep <coughs> to the times as others, as do others. But let us watch and be sober, or be alert. Let us watch and be alert for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to take the church. James 5.8 Be you also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh, which is getting closer and closer each day. He's getting closer to him come back. Philippians 4, 5. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. or He is near to returning for his church. That moderation means gentleness. We should be gentle with our fellow man and explain and tell them about the second coming of Jesus Christ when he's coming after his church. Don't be angry with them because they don't understand. But have patience. Patience. And explain to them about the, back, about the coming, about the rapture. And how they need to be ready. How they need to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's going to be the only way that they're going to bypass the tribulation and get to heaven. is through Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross. His shed blood. It's what's going to get them into heaven. They're not going to go through the tribulation. You know. So I'll just say, if the early church was expecting, you know, they were expecting, they're in Thessalonians where Paul's talking to the Thessalonians about Christ coming back. They were looking for it at any time also. If the early church was expecting the return of Christ, how much more should we be watching waiting with joy and hope of the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our only hope anymore, is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to be taken out of here, to be in heaven with him for all eternity. That is going to be the only peace and comfort that you're going to know is with Jesus Christ. Excuse me, one other thing that I didn't even tell David about is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10. For God has not appointed us to wrath. He's not appointed us to go through the wrath, the church. 
but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. When we obtain that salvation, you don't have to worry about it. You're going to be in heaven. Who died for us that, that excuse me, that whether we are awake, whether we're alive, or whether we sleep, or whether we die, we should live together with him. Whether you live or die, you're in the rapture. If you're dead, you're going to be raised from that grave, be reunited with the spirit that comes back. It says, and he shall bring those back with him. That's in Thessalonians. What's he talking about? He's talking about your spirit. The spirit of those who have died. Godly people that have died where their spirits went to heaven. When he, Jesus comes back, he's bringing those spirits back with him. And, said, and, and when the dead come up out of the grave, those spirits that he brought back are going to be reunited with that body. And that body is then going to be the glorified body, just like Jesus' body. We who are left will join them and our bodies. We will not see death. We will not see decay. But our bodies will also then be turned and be a glorified body. And we'll go back to heaven. That's in, that's in Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting about verse 13 down through 18. That's a good scripture. That's, a good, that's some good reading right there. About what he, Paul is explaining to the Thessalonians what's going to take place because many of the Thessalonians were worried when Paul said Jesus Christ was coming back and many of their loved ones had died and they was wondering, okay, what's going to happen to our loved ones, our family, our friends? And that's when, Je that's when Jesus explains. Those that have died in Christ, their spirits will, will be raised from the grave. Those who are still alive, we will not be preceded those that are dead. But then after they are raised, then we also will be joined to them in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. I'm going to ask the band to come up if they will. If you're here this morning and you don't know if you're ready for the rapture, or not? You wonder, is my, am I right with God? Do I know Jesus Christ? If the rapture took place right now, would I go in that rapture? When you ask yourself that question, you really need to be honest with yourself if you've got any doubts about whether you're saved whether you'll go in the rapture or not. Because it could take place at any moment. Please, be ready. Be ready. So if y'all will, if you need prayer, I'll be glad to pray with you. If you need to come down to the altar and just talk with God for a minute. If you need to make sure you're right with God, He's here at this altar right now waiting for you. Only you know if you're right with God. I see you sitting in here in church every day. I think 99.9% I think of you know God. That one person, though, that may not, today is a day of salvation. Today's the day that God says, come unto me. Best to listen 
to what God is saying. Come unto him. Make sure that you're going to go out of here in the rapture.